Fran fam, what's going on? Listen, before we start this podcast episode, I have a very, very small favor to ask of each and every single one of you guys. I appreciate the support that all of you have been showing for the podcast up until this point, but we want to try and get these episodes out to as many people as possible. And how we do that on the audio side is by leaving a review and dropping a five-star rating. So if you've been a consistent listener of the pod, please, before we get this episode started, it only takes a couple of seconds, leave a review. It could be a two-word, three-word, four-word review or just leave a rating do something to get the word out so that we can get the marvin francois show to more listeners moving forward outside of that love you guys appreciate the support but without further ado let's get into this episode you wanna you wanna make a bet what's the bet it's too much money <laughs> here we go here we go so what's the bet all right oh he came ready okay let me sit up so, let me sit up i mean if you can prove to me that a credit bureau exists, I will give you this on here right now. Live on the Marvin Francois yeah. show. If you prove to me a credit bureau exists. If you're a new entrepreneur struggling to get your business funded, this video is for you. What's going on family? My name is Marvin Francois and just a couple of years ago, I was actually a new entrepreneur trying to build my first successful business. Now fast forward to today, I've been able to do much more than that, scaling multiple six-figure businesses, leveraging business credit, and now I wanna teach other entrepreneurs how they could do the same. So this Thursday, I'm gonna be hosting my free Bankroll Your Business Masterclass where I'm gonna be teaching you how to access business funding regardless of your situation. If you have bad credit, I'm gonna teach you how to fix it. If you have no credit, I'm gonna teach you how to build it. And if you don't know which banks to go to, I'm gonna give you my secret business funding sequence that's gonna get you a minimum of $50,000 in business funding. Now look, this may sound too good to be true, but the reality is it isn't. Slots are moving fast and time is running out. So if you haven't already, click the link above or below this video to secure your seat and I'll see you on class on Thursday. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Marvin Francois Show, your number one source for all things business, finance, and investing. And today huh, is a very, very special day because our guest today is a man who needs no introduction. He's a consumer law expert who teaches people how to repair, rebuild, and restore their credit using consumer laws while educating credit repair business owners on how to scale their credit repair business to six figures per year. And if you fall into either of those categories, this episode is for you because less than a month from today, he'll be hosting the nation's leading conference for consumers and credit repair professionals from September 29th to October 1st in Atlanta, Georgia, the Credit Summit. If you're looking to erase credit worries, elevate your credit score, and empower yourself to unlock financial opportunities, this will be the place to be. But until then, our guest today is going to be doing all that and more on today's episode. He's a staple of the show, a friend of the program. I'm here with the one, the only, Mr. Duran DeLevante. What's going on, family? How are you? It take a lot of people cannot surprise me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bro, bro, <laughs> bro. How are you, bro? All right, drop some fire in the chat. <laughs> just, just, just drop some fire in the chat. Dude. My guy. Wow. Hey, man. I, I, if I'm not getting better every episode, I'm doing wow. something wrong. If I'm not getting better every episode, I'm doing something wrong, bro. How Dude, are it you? It takes a lot for someone to surprise me. Hey, man. I, you know, I had to roll out the red carpet. You're like I said, staple of the show, friend of the program. You provided wow. so much value over the years, and I had to roll out the red carpet for you. How are you, family? I am great. Even better now that I'm speaking to you. Every day is the best day of my life, my guy. You I just see. made my whole day, bro. I, I appreciate it. Man, we, Golly. Well, if, if the intro did that, I hope these questions do even more because we about <laughs> to get into it, bro. Man, I, I, I mean, it goes without saying. I love having you on. I know everyone on the platform, on my platform, and on your respective platform, love seeing us come together because it's a banger. 
after a banger, after a banger, after a banger. And I'm extremely excited to have you back. Um, what's been going on with you, man? Obviously, first off, <laughs> I mean, your branding is always A1 from day one, but you coming in here dressed like the credit general. <laughs> what What's going on, bro? How's everything going on with you? Um, going with you? It's been extremely well. Um, life has been amazing. Um, millions, Marvin. We've hit millions of people that we're helping. Right. Um, there's there's videos that's doing over a million views combined, eight hundred thousand views. Um, five hundred. Like it's going crazy. A lot of people are waking up, right. and it's crazy when when we we when when we came up with this about two and a half years ago or so. Mm-hmm. It, it's really coming to fruition, like impacting so many lives right. and, and changing the the credit score mm-hmm. of people, changing the credit score of different zip codes. And bro, we've, we, we are on the way. We're not there yet because, you know, there's 333 million people in America. Right. 60% live paycheck to paycheck, which gives us about 195 million, to six, 165 to 195 million people. Mm-hmm. That's either living paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. or that has bad credit. So we still got a lot of work to do. We do. But um, yeah, it's it's been great, man. It's It's been an amazing journey. And um, they love us. The people love us. And right. we're providing so much value. Yep. And the cool thing about what we do as a collective is always providing the resource that they can go and do their own research right. and see what we're speaking about. So, yeah, man, I commend you tremendously. You've been doing an amazing job. Man, I appreciate it. And and it makes it a lot easier for me to do my job when I'm sitting next to high-level entrepreneurs like yourself that provide value and is literally freeing. And we don't just use that term hyperbolically literally freeing consumers from a lot of the things that they're dealing with in their day-to-day that's holding them back from empowering themselves financially and accessing the credit scores that they need to take their lifestyle and their family's lifestyle to another level. And I'm going to be very transparent with you, right? From our last interview, I've actually been paying closer and closer attention to the CFPB website. Mm-hmm. And you know this because I mean, you eat, sleep, and breathe this. I didn't know that it, it 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 almost seems like every other day, if not every other week, the CFPB is suing another company <laughs> for predatory lending practices, bro. It is it is crazy. I wanted to talk about one in particular because, like I said, I've been following it closely, mm-hmm. and there was one in particular that happened back in July that I wanted to. I'm sure you probably already know about it, but apparently the CFPB, and I want to make sure I'm getting this correctly, they ordered Bank of America. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing because you already know two hundred and fifty million dollars uh. in fees for uh, a lot of their improper practices that included double dipping on customers' overdraft fees, withholding bonuses from credit card holders, and using customers' personal information without them knowing to open bank accounts without their knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Having the consumer law master on here and and you specializing in freeing people from situations like this, I'm curious, whether it be banks and and mortgage companies or, or just financial institutions in general, hearing news like this, either whether I was on the receiving end of something like this from Bank of America, or if I wasn't, if I'm a consumer that's watching this and I hear this news coming to me, how can I as a consumer protect myself against practices such as these? Well, the first thing is if you have a Bank of America account and let's say... <clears throat> Within the last year or two years, could be three, you you had late payments, you had these fees, these junk fees, these overdraft fees and stuff, or you have anything negative on your credit that came as a result of Bank of America. Well, this lawsuit that the CFPB initiated with Bank of America 
this is an opportunity for you to use that information to clean your consumer report up where mm -hmm. Bank of America accounts are concerned. Mm -hmm. So it's important to learn, okay, what's going on in society? Bank of America, it's a real thing, mm -hmm. right? 150 million, I believe, is going to the consumers mm -hmm. and then 100 million is going towards Correct. the CFPB. Oh, you on top of it. Are you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I read a lot of it. Yeah. And, um, and it's going to bring us into the next one. I'm not sure if you have it on your card, but Wells Fargo, and we need to talk about that too. Talk about, I actually didn't know about Wells Fargo. Well, it's 3.7 billion. Break that, break that down. So, so I'm going to go into, into that in a minute. Okay. So um, going back to the credit summit, right? So the credit summit is, 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 is a conference for consumers and credit repair business owners. Mm -hmm. So what you just spoke about with Bank of America, how is that important? Well, we need to learn how to use what is going on. Mm -hmm. So it, it it's not fair for the consumer that never missed a payment, mm -hmm. but the institution applied a mispayment fraudulently right. or they're being charged late payment fees for an account that they weren't laid on. Mm -hmm. Because if late payment fees are being charged, it simply means that, quote unquote, there's a late payment somewhere. Right. But the consumer was not late. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know consumer laws, how are you going to address these issues? Mm -hmm. Are we going to be sending out goodwill letters, begging these corporations, please forgive me, I was never late? We're not doing that anymore. That, right. is, that is like so 10 years ago. Right. Right? So now, how do you, from a position of power, how do you, from a position of power as a consumer, take charge of the information mm -hmm. that is there because it's not hidden? Anybody can go on the CFPB website. Just open Google, because I'm sure everybody got a cell phone. Mm -hmm. Open Google, go onto the CFPB website, go and see what is there. You will be surprised. There are lawsuits going out for collection companies, subprime lending companies. There's so many lawsuits going on. So all you got to do as a consumer is, okay, which one of these companies are on my consumer report? Okay, I noticed I have Wells Fargo account, there's Bank of America, and these collection agencies. Okay, what is the CFPB saying about them? Okay, how can I use consumer laws to get these items deleted from my report? Mm -hmm. It's bad credit is a mindset. I don't believe it's a physical thing. Right. It's more of a mindset because your credit worthiness goes through habits. Right. Things that you do, um, your ability to pay back, let's say, a line of credit that was extended to you, mm -hmm. right? So it, it, we need to break out of the bad credit mindset. Mm -hmm. And once as a collective, as a group, we break out of the bad credit mindset, then we now talk about, okay, how do we change the credit score for zip codes? Mm. Because if you notice, all right, let's look at a few things, right? Riots. You will never see riots in uh, 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 a 700 or 800 credit score neighborhood. Okay. It's not going to happen. People in those zip codes, they want to go out with their families. They want to go on trips. They work in corporate America or they have their business. They want to spend time with their family. They want to go shopping. Right. 500 credit score neighborhoods, these are where the riots are. Right. People that think that they don't have enough. It's not that they don't have enough. They don't have the right information. Right. Information is currency. Mm -hmm. 
And we've been taught that wealth is money. It's not. It's information. Mm-hmm. Using that information to elevate oneself to a different way of thinking. The real wealth lies in the mind. So I went on that tangent to say, can the consumer repair, rebuild, restore their own credit? Yes. Can they use what's going on with these lawsuits now to get negative items deleted from their credit? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Where do you want to learn it? Come to the credit summit. Mm -hmm. It's for you anyway. It is your summit. So why not invest in yourself, in your own education, where you can use the information to change your zip code? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to be stuck in a neighborhood let's say a 500 credit score neighborhood that I know that is next to it. Like, this is all you can tell. Check cash in place. Payday <laughs> loan. No, I want you to think about it. Right. It sounds funny. And this isn't me coming after anybody. Right. But I really want y'all to think about it. Payday loans. Mm-hmm. Right? A whole lot of car dealership offering known credit check. Our furniture stores, mm-hmm. known credit required. You know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, um, payday loans, mm-hmm. check cash in places. Why do we need check cash in places? Because our people don't have bank accounts. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why you need a check cash in, because that direct deposit can't hit. Because if it hits, somebody else is gone with your money. Mm-hmm. So they know the problem that people with bad credit is facing. And what they do now, they insert themselves in these communities. So you're, you're okay paying a $5 fee or a $10 fee or $15 fee to, to, to clear the check. Mm-hmm. But what if we got in the habit of paying back those lines of credit that were extended to us, right? Mm-hmm. We start working on our credit rating, our credit capacity, our standard of living, our mode of living, our character. Right. And we demonstrate the ability to pay back. What does that do? Well, if I decide now that I want to go get a first-time homebuyer's um, loan, I can get it, right? Because I believe now with FHA, I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think at 580, you can qualify for an FHA home loan, Mm -hmm. right? You got your phone on you? I I don't. If I could use yours. Let's see. Where is my phone? Because it's it's important that we that we look this stuff up. So let's see what the minimum credit score is for a FHA home loan. So well, let's, let's let's look at it. Where's Google? And guys, pull your phone out. Like right. this is where every this is. I want this to be a family thing. Right. This episode, watch it on a Friday night with your whole family. Don't be watching all of those stuff on 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 TV. That's not doing anything for you. Mm-hmm. So this is where we go to what credit score or what's the minimum credit score what's the minimum minimum y'all know i got a high school diploma right (laughs) (laughs) minimum credit score Mm -hmm. needed for fha all right so let's see what he's saying what's the minimum credit score yeah what's the minimum credit score for fha the answer is 580 mm-hmm. fha loan requires a minimum credit score if you want to put in if you want to put 3.5 percent down mm-hmm. the minimum credit score for fha loan is 580 mm-hmm. so this is where this is where i'm going with this fha gives us an opportunity 
to enter the game with a low credit score. Mm -hmm. It's not where you are, it's where you're going to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not how you fall down, it's how you get up. Mm -hmm. The issue is if you stay down when you fall down, then we have a problem, right? right. So if FHA is saying with 3.5% down and a minimum of 580 credit score, you can get approved for being a first-time home buyer. Well, what can we, what can we do with that? All right, FHA has a sub, uh, another loan that a lot of people don't know about. It's called the FHA 203K loan. Talk I'm not that. sure if you've ever heard of it. I haven't talked about so that. So it's a, it's a family of the FHA loan, right? And what this does, it gives the consumer the ability to have rehab capabilities built into the loan. Mm-hmm. So let's say an example would be they find a property that was burned down or it has damages, but the structure, the, the structural integrity of the property must be intact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the foundation. Okay. As long as the foundation is intact with an FHA 203K loan, you can use the rehab capabilities. As long as it's zoned for it, bro, build a four family mm-hmm. if it's zoned for it, right? So now you live for free, you have tenants paying you, mm-hmm. and now you can start building the wealth. And I would go with, with, with an FHA 203K loan any day of the week because of something called equity. See, when you buy a home and you pay full market value for it, mm-hmm. you just gave the seller all the equity, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you put something down whatever you put down that becomes a new equity so let's say it was zero down then you're going into a property with little to no equity it's 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 maxed out Mm -hmm. but let's say now you use a 203k loan right and let's say everything for purchase for acquisition and rehab comes up to two or three hundred thousand right but let's say after you're finished the, let's say it's a four family. The market value is five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. That's two hundred thousand in equity that your family now has. Mm-hmm. But if if we're gonna run off on paying back a five hundred dollar credit card or a thousand dollar credit card or a or, or a five thousand dollar credit card, well, you're demonstrating that you don't have the ability to pay back. So right. where you could use this now as a tool to start building your generational wealth, you just kind of flush that down the drain. Mm-hmm. So learning consumer laws, you are able to put yourself in position. So if you're not in position right now, okay, learn how to repair your own credit. Mm-hmm. Repair your credit, show up to the credit summit, fix your credit. Mm-hmm. Get in position, it's 580. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the income requirements are, but at least meet the first criteria. <laughs> right? Uh, you see where I'm going with this? Right. Like people think you need to be great to start Mm -hmm. you don't need to be great to start but you need to start to be great it is not how you start it's how you finish Mm -hmm. so i know it was a little bit long-winded but um what what i want people to get is your current credit situation does not define your reality not because you have a bankruptcy it means that you have to wait 10 years for a bankruptcy to get deleted no Mm -hmm. i can show you how you can use consumer laws to get bankruptcy deleted in four days because is it bankruptcy or is it identity theft? What about that? Right? Like, like Marvin, you sure you want to go down go, this I'm, rabbit hole? I, I, if, if I'm bringing the <laughs> rain de Levante on, I know we're going down a rabbit hole. Oh, Let's my. go down a rabbit hole. Bankruptcy versus identity. What do you mean by that? Okay. So who reported the bankruptcy to the consumer's consumer report? 
Who? The credit reporting agencies. Okay. Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. What does 15 U.S.C. 1681b2 speaks about? Permissible purpose. Right. Written consent must, written permission must be given from the consumer. Mm-hmm. Correct? Correct. Okay. Any person obtaining a consumer report under false pretenses will be fined under Title 18, 15 U.S.C. 1681Q. Mm-hmm. We know that the definition for a person is what? A corporation. Well, what are corporations? Experian, TransUnion, Equifax, LexisNexis, SageStream. They're all corporations, right? Mm-hmm. So if a corporation, which would be Equifax or TransUnion, goes to another consumer reporting agency, i.e. LexisNexis, mm-hmm. for a consumer's consumer report or vice versa, if LexisNexis is furnishing the consumer's consumer report, permissible purpose must be given. Did the consumer give LexisNexis, because they are a person under the definition by law, did the consumer give LexisNexis permission Mm-hmm. to furnish their information to a consumer reporting agency. They did not. Correct. So no consent means identity theft. So then when we go to 18 U.S.C. 1028A, it's going to speak about what? Aggravated identity theft. Mm-hmm. And aggravated identity theft says any person, the word person Com- again, company, company or corporation, that uses, possesses, or transfers a means of identification of another without lawful authority will be sentenced to two years. Title 18 or fined under Title 18, mm-hmm. right? So if it's giving you the definition of what aggravated identity theft is, and then 15 U.S.C. 1681Q tells you that a person cannot go to a consumer reporting agency under false pretenses. Under false pretenses would simply mean that they didn't get permission from the consumer. 15 U.S.C. 1681b2 says it, mm-hmm. right? And a disclosure does not suffice for legitimate business reason. It is said so in the new permissible purpose law. Right. So now, knowing all of that, what does 15 U.S.C. 1681c2 says? Hmm. Blocking of information that resulted from an alleged identity theft. Within four days of receiving the information, a consumer reporting agency must block the information. So is it really bankruptcy or is it identity theft? Right. We're not saying the bankruptcy never happened. We're talking about how the item was reported. The item was reported and it fits the description of identity theft. Mm-hmm. You use, possessed, or transferred a means of identification. How did they identify that you had the bankruptcy? Someone must have had your information. Right. Someone used your information without your permission. And they went to a consumer reporting agency. That consumer reporting agency furnished that information without permissible purpose. Correct. It fits the bill for 15 U.S.C. 1681 C2, which is identity theft. Based on 15 U.S.C. 1681Q. And that's how you delete bankruptcies in four days. You don't need to wait 10 years to do it. Mm -hmm. It's learning consumer laws. 
And you might have attorneys watching these videos or other people in the industry saying, well, Doreen, that's not true. Well, prove me wrong, mm -hmm. right? Because if the law says any person that uses an identification of another without, without lawful authority, well, the last time I checked, the consumer reporting agencies aren't government agencies. Correct. And if they don't have a legitimate business reason and a disclosure does not suffice, which means... Written permission, 15 U.S.C., 1681, B2, written permission from the consumer to whom it relates, gives permissible purpose. Mm. Where did they get it from? So being able to see the, the, the laws that's there and being able to use them effectively, this is why they were created. Right. If it wasn't there for the consumer to use, why would it be called consumer laws? Right. If it was only for attorneys, well, why wouldn't it be called attorney laws then or, or something like that? So my point is, um, Hosea 4, verses 6, my people perish and are destroyed because of a lack of information. Mm. And if that is true, then the opposite must be true, which means if my people have information, they will not be destroyed. This is the whole purpose of the Credit Summit, right. to educate the consumer on why and how they need to put themselves in position so that we can start building generational wealth and we can start changing the credit score of our zip codes. Let me piggyback off of that because like you said, when we talk about the credit summit and when we talk about what this episode is about, we, you have always been about, we've always been about empowering consumers whenever we come together. That's the core of everything it is that we talk about, right? To that point, I wanted to ask you, circling back to the CFPB, whenever they go about suing a lot of these companies for predatory lending practices, mm -hmm. they have something that's called the Civil Penalty Fund. Mm -hmm. This is essentially a fund that they put together that whenever they reach settlements with these companies to basically um, reprimand them or discipline them for these predatory lending practices, this is a fund they put together to pay, portion of it goes towards paying consumers for essentially the retributions for them going through these practices. I'm curious to know with you, because on one hand, you have the CFPB, Civil, Civil Penalty Fund, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, individuals like yourself have come on and talked about how we can, once we identify these violations, we can leverage these violations to now get paid by, get paid $1,000 per violation and things of that nature. So as consumers, when we talk about empowering ourselves, should we be reliant on the, the CFPB Civil Penalty Fund to compensate us for these violations? Or, hold on, let me finish. Or should we now take the power in our own hands and leverage the understanding of consumer law and go about seizing the monetary reparations for these violations ourselves? I mean, if you're able to do both, why not do both? Why pick and choose if talk, you're able to do both? Talk about so that. So if you're able to get relief from the CFPB, but you can also prove damage. Otherwise, I'd say, why not do it? Let somebody say no, mm -hmm. Right. And, and this is where I've partnered with Legal Shield. Um, Legal Shield is now a partner of ours where we, we have Legal Shield in, in my university mm -hmm. where students can now sign up for Legal Shield and they're able to get representation because one of the biggest issues that, that I've been seeing is it, it takes 300 or $500 to get in a consultation with an attorney. Well, with Legal Shield, when you, when you sign up, right? you are able to, let's say, have a family plan mm -hmm. for like $29 a month where you're able to get yourself protected and your family. 
right? So it's not going to cost you now 300 for a consultation. And I'll give you the legal shielding too. If Let's anybody, do it. Let's if do it. If anybody needs it here, I'll, I'll make go. sure that I send you the legal shield. Let's do it. So um, in full transparency, once you sign up for it, then you'll, you'll have your legal representation. There but it's also a great opportunity for everybody here right. to use it as well. Like, we, we were taught that, um, that, that representation have to be expensive. It's not. Mm-hmm. And I learned, I learned this because I have the plan myself. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 guys, money has always been a factor. And it's always will be a factor. Mm-hmm. And I need us to change the I cannot to how can I. Say that again. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this isn't me preaching religion, guys. I'm not religious. I am a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. Do not misconstrue my words. But in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word became flesh. Mm-hmm. And if that is true, it means there's power in the tongue. Mm-hmm. As a man think it in his heart, so is he. If you believe you can, you can. If you believe you cannot, you cannot. Mm. Either way, you are both right. The question is, which one are you going to feed? Mm-hmm. I know I went off on a chat. No, it's perfectly back, back, fine. Back to you, my brother. I do apologize. No, 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 no. Not a problem at all. Like I said, I know that when I bring you on here, we're going to get deep. And that's exactly what I'm looking forward to. So essentially, to your point, circling back to it, like you said, and when we're talking about empowering ourselves as consumers, if we can go both routes, it's not a matter of one or the other. If we can go both, I wouldn't go both, Why right? Not? Let them tell us no versus yeah. us telling ourselves no. To dive more into that, I want to circle back because you mentioned it, and I'd be remiss if I didn't make sure we circle back to it. I didn't know that there was a situation that took place with Wells Fargo. Could you oh. talk a little bit about that? <laughs> so three, not million, three point seven billion. Okay. Right? Lawsuit. So what they did was very similar to what Bank of America did. And you know, it's crazy. Um I think you want to pull up your phone for this one. Gotcha. Can I use your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So let, 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 me, let me make sure. And I want everybody I want everybody to follow. I want everybody to follow. Because I, I want to get into this. So let's look up. And now we're going to go straight to the CFPB website. So type in, guys, CFPB Suze Wells Fargo, mm-hmm. 3.7 billion, right? And it's going to come up. So right on the CFPB website, here you go, my guy. Let's shift this a little bit because I want him to see that it's coming straight from the source. Right. So the CFPB orders Wells Fargo to pay $3.7 billion for widespread mismanagement of auto loans, mortgages, and deposit accounts. Wow. Do you want me to go in? Keep going. Okay. So the company repeatedly misapplied loan payments wrongfully. Use the word. Mi- Starts with an R. Uh. Repeatedly. repeatedly there you go not one time right not two time over and repeatedly. over repeatedly correct but i'll just be quiet go ahead brother company misapplied loan payments wrongfully foreclosed on homes which is crazy wrongfully foreclosed so that means families were kicked out of their homes right wrongfully mm-hmm. but you know Durant only gets excited for no reason right and there's not a reason that we're doing this right now but go ahead brother. wrongfully foreclosed on homes and illegally repossessed vehicles illegally took away families means of transportation right okay keep going incorrectly assess fees and interests hold up yep if fees are being incorrectly assessed, it means mm-hmm. that your state usury laws that govern the amount of interest rate that you pay, maximum allowed to pay, it sounds like that was being done over the usury limit. But not only that, if 
late payments were or mispayments were applied. It simply means with late payments, because if you ever read the terms and agreement of the credit card agreements, in there it says that if you miss payments, they can adjust the interest rates. Right. And not only the interest rates were adjusted, but late fees were also charged. But continue. I'm just getting excited for no reason at all. Charge surprise overdraft fees. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. What do we know about overdraft fees? It's always between $25 to $35. Correct. Multiply that by 16 million people. Yeah. And you can see how much. So hold on. Do the math. Let's do the math. So let's do six. Go, go to the go to the calculator. Let me go to the calculator. Sixteen million times thirty-five. So so no, but remember, it's late fees and overdraft fees. Those are two separate fees. Okay, so we're gonna do sixteen million times thirty-five. So, so thirty-five, which is normally overdraft fees. That's and five hundred and sixty million in overdraft fees. Yeah. Okay, but I'm just getting excited for no reason five. at all. Go ahead, brother. You want me to keep reading? Yes, please. Okay, I got you. All right. Um, to your point, along with other illegal activity affecting over 16 million consumer accounts. Now they have the actual article. Do you want me to read the article? I mean, it's going to take a long time. They can go read it. We just gave them the source. Gotcha. But you see the point that I'm getting at. Right. And when a consumer, Do you want to um, yeah. And when a consumer disputes something, right. right, they're getting stalled letters saying, yep. oh, your credit is our number one concern. How is it your number one concern mm -hmm. when you repeatedly... Yep. Kick people out of their homes fraudulently, mm -hmm. taking the position of the home, fraudulently, repossessing their means of transportation, mm -hmm. fraudulently applying mispayments to hike up the interest rate, right. late payment fees, overdraft fees. Mm -hmm. But these same corporations are saying that your credit is our number one concern. Right. How does that even make sense? How? It doesn't. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. You're going to either become the victim or learn how to defend yourself. So we can have the victim mentality. Right. Oh, my car was repossessed by Bank of America. Oh, my car was repossessed by Wells Fargo. Okay. Or you could go to thecreditsummit.com, get your tickets, Learn how to evaluate a repossession, learn how to stop foreclosures, learn how to get late payments deleted and take your power back and get the credit score you deserve based on an accurate consumer report. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. Listen, if you're an entrepreneur struggling to get funding because of your bad credit, then this video is for you. You see, I understand that when banks deny businesses for funding, they're not just denying businesses the capital they need, but they're also denying business owners the resources that they need to build the business of their dreams. And as a business owner, I've seen this happen over and over and over and over again, but I want you to know that there's a solution. Because here at Takeoff Financial, we've helped countless entrepreneurs just like you go from having poor personal credit and not being able to access funding to having perfect personal credit that they were able to leverage to access five to six figures in funding, and we want you to be the next one. So click the link above or below this video to secure your free consultation, and we'll see you on the other side of Success Family. Let's dive more into that because at the, when we talk about this Wells Fargo situation, and like I said, the, theme, the name of the game is not the name of the game, but the, the core of what we're doing is empowering consumers. We saw talk about repossessions, talk about foreclosures, things of that nature. The average consumer, they have a car note, they have a mortgage, and they have some you know miscellaneous credit card debt. I want to start off first, and I'm very excited to talk about this. I want to start off first talking about the home loan. 
right? Which one? Mo- the, well, not not one in specific, just mortgages in general. Because okay. I've been watching you very closely, seeing you, uh, seeing a lot of what you've talked about from the last credit summit going into this one. And there's something you said that made my ears perk <laughs> up. And I said, if I brought you on here, I, I think and I, I know where you're going with this, but I'll, I'll let you finish. Where essentially you've been talking a lot about mortgage fraud. Okay. And essentially how a mortgage shouldn't even be on your credit report to begin with. Well, can we, can we not talk necessarily bit? saying that a mortgage shouldn't be on there, right? It A mortgage can be on there okay. if the consumer gave permission for it to be on there. Okay. Right? And, and, and where you find this is 15 U.S.C. 6802, where it speaks about the disclosures, three disclosures that a consumer is supposed to get. Okay. Right? And... Without these three disclosures, you cannot report the item to the consumer mm-hmm. report because these three disclosures must be given to the consumer. And in that law, 15 U.S.C. 6802, B, it gives the consumer the opportunity to opt out. Can we, do, can we dive into what those disclosures are? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's pull it up. All right. So when you go to, and you can take your phones out, ladies and gentlemen, because I want you guys to follow me here, 15 U.S.C., 6802, right? And it brings us to the Gramm-Leach-Bailey Act, and it speaks about personal information and obligations with respect to disclosures of personal information, right? Right. So it says, B, opt out. In general, a financial institution may not disclose non-public personal information to a non-affiliated third party. Mm -hmm. Well, the consumer reporting agencies are not affiliated with Bank with, with Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Capital One, none of them. They're unaffiliated, meaning that they're separate businesses. They are not owned by common ownership or, or anything like that, right? right? So they are non-affiliated. And what the law says is that the only way, it says, a financial institution may not disclose non-public personal information to a non-affiliated third party unless, mm. what does that mean? Unless they do these things, they cannot disclose the information. Right. Right? So the first thing says, such financial institution clearly and conspicuously discloses to the consumer in writing or in electronic form or other form permitted by the regulations prescribed under Section 6804 of this title that such information may be disclosed. So they must tell you that, Marvin, we are going to report your information. Right? Right. That's the only one consumers normally get. But it's not one, it's three. B says the consumer, so this is saying that, Mar, I'll use you as the example. Let's do it. The consumer is given the opportunity before the time. What time are they talking about? You are given the opportunity before they report the information that such information initially disclosed that they're going to tell you that we may disclose your information to the consumer reporting agency to direct that such information not be disclosed to such third party. Mm-hmm. This is law, bro. I'm not making this stuff up. Right. So if you say, I don't want my information reported, they must respect that. It is here in the law. Mm-hmm. And if you, the consumer, Marvin, is given the explanation of how, so if you say no, you must be given the explanation of how you can exercise that non-disclosure option. So when you call these corporations and their employees on there who don't know anything, it's telling you that we have to report your information by law. Which law? Right. And I wish somebody would tell me which law says that 
all information on a consumer or all financial information on a consumer must be reported. Mm-hmm. I'll give that person a thousand dollars. I'm very serious because we clearly here the law says you have the right as a consumer to say I do not want that information reported. So how would they say that and then make another law saying the companies can? How does that make sense? It right. does not. It's in their laws, bro. So when we speak about a mortgage, when we speak about an auto loan, when we speak about a credit card or a loan or whatever, right. any extension of credit, you have the ability to either have them reported by agreeing to the disclosures or not. Right. There is no law that says... Anything must be reported. It may be reported, but the consumer must be given the disclosures. So now to dive even dive even more into that, even going back to the Wells Fargo situation, if I'm somebody that was affected by that situation, I'm going through foreclosure, is there a way that we can take, whether it's the information that you just gave or just any other consumer law strategies in general, to challenge a foreclosure and say, hey, look, I shouldn't even be going through this foreclosure in the first place because my rights as a consumer were violated? Well, that's one thing. It's not what you know, it's what you can prove. You can know everything. It's what you can prove. So the first thing in in identifying mortgage fraud is, all right, hmm. does Wells Fargo possess the mortgage and the note? Dive into talk about that. So the mortgage and the note must travel together. You're talking about the promissory note. Correct. They are accessory to each other, right? Okay. So one secures the other. The prom the promissory note is the promise to pay. The mortgage secures the interest in 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 the collateral, right? So when you possess both, you know, you own it. Mm -hmm. But when you have either or the situation now becomes if you possess the mortgage, well, the mortgage by itself doesn't make sense without the promissory note. The same way the promissory note don't make sense without the mortgage. They are accessories and they must travel together. Mm-hmm. So when 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 um, when they pool mortgages together, normally during securitization, that's where the separation happens. There's a company called MERS. Um, Mortgage Electronic Record System, M-E-R-S. Yeah, Mortgage Mortgage Electronic Record System. And MERS, they act as a nominee agent for different lenders. Mm -hmm. So MERS can hold the mortgages. it, It gives an accountability of the assignment of the mortgages. But MERS is not a financial institution. It cannot possess the note. Right. So if the same lender that MERS is a nominee agent four possesses the promissory note and MERS has the mortgage, then that's a legitimate claim. Mm. But if the company only possesses the mortgage and they don't possess the promissory note, the mortgage is now null and void. So what a person would need to do is see a competent attorney that specializes in real estate and mortgage or, or loans and go get a consultation. But the law is clear. There's Supreme court case rulings on this right i love it okay okay 
Family, listen, you could have saw this interview early and ad-free if you became a member of my Patreon. Not only that, but you could have also saw behind the scenes footage that's only available to my Patreon community. So what are you waiting for? Listen, head over to patreon.com forward slash the Marvin Francois show for early and ad-free content on all things credit, real estate, trucking, Turo, you name it, we got it. That's patreon.com forward slash the Marvin Francois show, but back to the interview. Now take it from a different angle, because like I said, we're talking about empowering consumers. We identified one aspect of most average consumers when we talk about mortgages, mm -hmm. right? Let's talk about another even more common one, which are auto loans and car notes and things like that. Mm -hmm. Circling back to the CFPB and just some of the research I did, you know, you have situations where they didn't quote any specific auto lenders in particular, but they were talking about abusive practice taking place like uh, fraudulent interest rates on inflated uh, on inflated loan balances, cancelling automatic automatic payment setups, right, without notifying the consumers, which resulted in late payments, and the list goes on and on. So for your personal experience, what are some of the most common ways that most of these auto lenders are preying, preying on consumers to where they probably don't even know it's taking place right now? All right, so let's go back to our favorite consumer. Let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go back to Cornell Law, and mm -hmm. um, let's go to Truth in Lending, right? Let's go. So 15 U.S.C. 1605, let's go to where the finance charges. 15 U.S.C. 1605, right? It brings us to Truth in Lending under the finance charge, right? And what this says is the finance charge defined, except as otherwise provided in this section, the amount of the finance charge in connection with any consumer credit transaction shall be determined as the sum of all charges, payable directly or indirectly by the person to whom the credit is extended, and imposed directly or indirectly by the creditor as an incident to the extension of the credit. The finance charge does not include charges of type payable in a comparable cash transaction. So this is where you've heard the down payments are illegal. Well, if there's a finance charge involved, there shouldn't be any cash, right? And under also 15 U.S.C. 1662, it tells you that if, uh, if an institution don't regularly market the down payment, you know what, let me not. Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah, let, let's, let's go over there. So... I want y'all to follow. 15. So we just came from 15 U.S. Well, we're going back. We're going back okay. there. So it's 15 U.S.C. 15 U.S.C. 1662. And we go to advertising of down payments and installments. Mm -hmm. it, these are laws put here that the consumer needs to know about, right? Mm -hmm. So it says, 15 U.S.C. 1662, advertising of down payments and installments. No advertisement to aid, promote, or assist directly or indirectly any extension of consumer credit may state that a specific period consumer credit amount or installment amount can be arranged unless the creditor usually and customarily arranges credit payments or installments for that period and in that amount. So if they're going to advertise it on payment, they must advertise it that they normally do it. Mm -hmm. So if you're going in, they can't just say, you know, I want $7,000. Well, do you normally advertise this? If not, then that becomes illegal, mm -hmm. right? And then number two says that a specified down payment is required in connection with the extension. So it's like saying without a down payment, you cannot get this thing. They cannot say that. Mm -hmm. Right, so this is where the down payment 
is illegal and it further goes to say unless the creditor usually and customarily arranges um, down payments in that amount. So if, if you are de being denied for, let's say, an auto loan because you can find $3,500 to put a down payment, we need to see where they regularly advertise that this down payment is required. Okay. If not, you cannot be denied. So when we go back over now to the finance charge, um, it speaks about um, the, the finance charge shall not include fees amount, third-party closing agents, attorneys, escrow. We want to skip all of that. We want to go down to number one now. Let's see what number one says. Interest, time price differential, uh, examples of charges which are included. So let's go here. So let's I didn't want to skip that part. It says now, examples of charges which are included in the finance charge include any of the following types of charges which are applicable and then it goes to say interest time price differential and any amount payable under a point discount or other system or additional charges okay that's cool service or carrying charge that's cool too loan fee finder's fee or similar charges fee for an investigation on consumer report now number five it what really got my interest number five says premium or other charge of any guarantee or insurance protecting the creditor against the obligor's default or other credit loss. Mm -hmm. So in the finance charge, there is an insurance policy that, number five, that protects the lender right. in the event the obligor, which is a consumer, defaults on that loan, right? Correct. So now that's insurance money they just got paid, right? Crazy. But you're still going to hit the consumer with a what? A late payment. All right, cool. Late payment. Late payment leads to what? Higher interest rate. Mm -hmm. Mind you, they were already subprime already. Right. And chances are it could be over that state usury law, mm -hmm. right? So now we're talking about exceeding the state usury law got hit with a late payment fee, now got hit with a higher interest rate due to that late payment, mm -hmm. then we're going to talk about them selling the account now to a collections and then hitting the consumer with a charge-off. Crazy. They just got paid four, four times, bro. Right. Bad credit is one of the biggest businesses in America. So it, 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 it's not... They can make so much more money. Mm-hmm. Dishing out subprime loans, it's just disgusting. So if they know that this is where they can make the most money, do you really think they're going to stop doing that? Right. Banks' primary interests are not the consumers. They're in the business of making money like any business. Right. The consumer's business should be I need to know what I need to know so I can protect myself. If I'm being charged 20% and I live in the state of New York, what is New York State's usury law? It's 16%. What's a usury law? So that's a very good question. I want you to look that one up. Let's do it. I'm going to have you read it because I want everybody to see when the light bulbs, when the, when the light bulb clicks. Because I want to make sure I want to make sure I'm on point too. So I'm a consumer USU too. USU usury law defined our definition. Let's do it. 
See, I was going to spell it wrong. I didn't even know it was spelled this way. All right, so I can read it? Yeah. So when we talk about usury, so usury is interest that a lender charges a borrower at a rate above the lawful ceiling on such charges. A contract upon the loan of money with an illegally high interest rate as a condition of the loan. What's that word? I heard illegally somewhere. Illegally high interest rate as a condition of the loan. Keep going or stop? So that's one. If it's illegal, there's mm-hmm. nothing legal about it. Correct. Right? So press back. Bank? No, back. Okay. And then when you at the top, you're going to see Investopedia, right? Yep. It gives you like a summary of it. So you yeah. can read that summary just for so context. What are usury laws? Usury laws are regulations governing the amount of interest that can be charged on a loan. Correct. Each state has its own usury law. Right. So right now we're in the state of Georgia. Right. So I want you to go into Google and I want you to put in Georgia State Usury. Usury law. Georgia State Usury. So usury laws limit the interest rate um, interest rate amount a lender can charge. In Georgia, a licensed lender cannot charge more than ten percent interest on a loan of three thousand or less. How much? Uh, more than a 10% interest on a loan of 3000 or less. So you see, now go to Florida. Go to Florida State Usury Law. So Florida State Usury Law. State Usury Law. Here we go. All right, so for Georgia, I see that uh, a rate above 25% and less than 45% is a misdemeanor, while rate above 45% is a third-degree felony. On one website, mm-hmm. let me see. On Did the, you find Florida? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at. I'm looking for Florida. I'm looking at Florida right now. What's the usury limit in Florida? I see eighteen percent. Eighteen percent. Yeah. So if they charge over eighteen percent, it's it illegal. Is illegal. Correct. So you see where I'm going with this? Right. Different states have their own usury law. Mm-hmm. So, so you as a consumer. Chances are you're probably a victim of subprime lending and you don't even know it. Wow. You probably don't even know that your your state usury law mm-hmm. caps you at a certain amount and then what that lender is charging you is now illegal and you've exceeded that usury law. Right. For everybody here that's active duty military, there's a law called the SCRA, um, Civil Service Relief Act. Civil Service. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Okay. Relief Act. And for active duty military personnel, you're capped at a maximum of 6%. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure right now there's people that's watching that's active duty military and you are paying more than 6%. The SCRA protects you. And they don't even know it. They don't even know it. They don't even know it. Go ahead, bro. Do you want me to keep? No, no. Okay. Back to the next question. Here you go. No, just put it down there. We'll, we'll more than likely use it. So now, so now let's dive a little bit more. So diving more into the car situation, like I said, because I'm thinking about all the different angles for which most consu- most of the biggest problems that consumers are dealing with. Now, when we talk about the auto loan side of things, diving deeper into that, we mentioned repossessions. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've heard you talk about, and I really want to dive into, could you talk a little bit about when it comes to repossessions, what is a breach of peace? Okay. Because a lot of people who have gone through this process have also been invi- been re- been on the receiving end of that and probably mm-hmm. don't even know. Can we talk a little bit about that? So when we talk about a breach of peace, let's talk about repossessions, right? Yep. And repossessions, give me a minute. Let me get some more. Do it. You good. Let's go. Yes, for those of you who don't know, and that's new to the show, I drink with my pinky up. <laughs> let's go. So... 
Um, a repo man comes, right? Yep. If you're in the vehicle or you jump into the vehicle and the repo guy is attempting to repo the car mm-hmm. and you're attempting to drive it off, that is not peaceful. There's nothing peaceful about that. If there's an argument or an altercation, there is nothing peaceful about that either. Mm-hmm. That's a breach of peace. Right. Right? If, 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 if you have a gated home and your gate is locked and the repo man opens your gate up to your property and go on there, that's a breach of peace. If your driveway is open and they come and take it, that's fair game. If the garage is closed and they open your garage and retrieve that, that is a breach of peace. If the garage is open and they take it, that could also be fair game. So the breach of peace is so important. If they're going to take it, they take it, there was no altercation, boom, that's cool. But if there's an argument or any verbal altercation, it could be a fight. It could be them trying to drive off. Uh, it, that's not a peaceful repossession anymore. And if they still repo the vehicle, that's the first breach of peace. Hmm. I want to switch gears here a little bit. Um, I want to talk about something because not normally I'm very big on the wording that a lot of people use when we talk about consumer law and credit and things of that Mm -hmm. nature. Naturally, whenever people talk about consumer law, when people talk about credit, and we look at Experian, we look at TransUnion, and we look at Equifax, a lot of people refer to these um, companies Mm -hmm. as credit bureaus. Mm -hmm. I've heard you go on record to say that there's no such thing as a credit bureau. Could you talk a little bit about that and what you mean by that? Hmm. All right. So... The first thing is, I'd I'd like to, you wanna you wanna make a bet. What's the bet? So much money I got. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. So what's the bet? All right. Oh, he came ready. Okay, let me sit up. So, let me sit up. I mean, if you can prove to me that a credit bureau exists, I will give you this on here right now. Live on the Marvin Francois yeah. show. If you prove to me a credit bureau exists. Oh my goodness. But. You have to be able to match me if I can prove otherwise. Talk to Talk to me. Okay. Break down. So four grand. Break. Right now. Cash. Break down. Because I don't have the information. You have the information. So that's not even a bet I'm willing to take. Does a credit bureau exist? Yes or no? A credit bureau exists in the person's mind that believe that it exists. Okay. So... When you go to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, mm-hmm. right, 15 U.S.C., 1681, mm-hmm. and you go to 1681A, which is definition, rules, and construct, mm-hmm. and when you see the word credit bureau, mm-hmm. not credit bureau, when you see the word consumer reporting agencies and you click on it, it's going to give you a definition of what the consumer reporting agencies are. But better yet, when you go to the consumer report itself. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're here. We're giving away all the games. So, guys, follow with your your cell phone or your device or whatever you got. 15 USC 1681A. Definitions and rules of construct. It only makes sense to go where the definition of the consumer report is to find also who can report a consumer report, right? Mm -hmm. Because 
we and a lot of people used, well, I used to think that credit bureaus reported consumer information, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if, if that is true, that would simply mean that in the definition of the consumer report, mm -hmm. Congress would put the word credit bureau in there, that these are the institutions that report consumers' information. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that make sense? It does. It does, right? So let's go to the definition of um, a consumer report. Let's do it. My good man, you ready, you ready to put up that four grand though? Uh, I, got, I got a penny for you. I got right? I got a penny for you. Let me get the phone. Yeah. <laughs> let me get the phone. Here we go. All righty. So where I'm reading from D? Just the consumer report. Let's find out the definition of a consumer so report. So the term consumer report, and let me know when to stop, means any written, oral, or other communication of any information by a consumer reporting agency. By a what? Consumer reporting agency. Well, if credit bureaus existed, shouldn't it be by a credit bureau? That's true. But what, what word is there? Reporting agency, a consumer reporting agency. So you want to click on a consumer reporting agency so we can see what a consumer reporting agency is. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe credit bureau is in their definition. Right. But let's go find out, shall we? Let's dive into consumer reporting agency, right? So when mm -hmm. it says consumer reporting agency, the term consumer reporting agency means any person which for monetary fees, dues, or on a cooperative nonprofit basis regularly engages in whole or in part the practice of assembling or evaluating consumer credit information or other information on consumers for the purpose of furnishing consumer reports to third parties and which uses any means or facility of interstate commerce for the purpose of preparing or furnishing consumer reports. I don't I didn't see credit bureau anywhere. So anymore. after reading who they are right and what they do would you conclude that a credit bureau exists I know, based off this definition no but now that now where does that term come from if it doesn't exist here so there's a term called double speaking okay <sighs> let's do it let's go man bro you're let's go you're sure you want let's, right, dive. Cool. let's, let's, let's so, dive into it Y'all better be writing these words down, you know. All right. Y'all better be writing these down. And the term is double speaking? Double speaking. Okay. Double speaking is when you say one thing, but you mean another. Okay. Like, for instance, credit bureau. Mm -hmm. That's double speaking. Credit bureaus don't exist. Okay. But they use the word credit bureau to psychologically tie you to a bureau. Who do we know that are bureaus? Government agencies. Mm -hmm. So subconsciously, if you know that a government agency is a bureau and they say they are credit bureaus, then we start associating them by default with government institutions. Right. People fear the government. Mm -hmm. That's a level of fear, psychological fear. Mm -hmm. So now if you dispute with a consumer reporting agency and they say verified or validated, you're going to think that there's nothing you can do anymore because a quote-unquote government agency says so. Mm -hmm. When all that really happened was you were deceived by double speaking. Mm -hmm. Legalese. Why can't we just have contracts in regular plain language so everybody can comprehend? Why do we need someone else to interpret words that are put in on a contract? Double speaking. Because an implication of a word that you think could mean something when it means something else. Mm -hmm. Like if we say to the regular person, what does the word person mean? They're going to say, oh, you know, it's you and me. It's a natural person. Well, 
if we're talking about consumer reports and consumer reporting agencies and the FCRA and debt collectors and all of these things, they are persons too. Mm-hmm. So when the law is speaking about a debt collector using the word person, you're assuming that you're talking about a normal flesh and blood person. Mm-hmm. And now you got the wrong definition of something. So your dispute is not as effective as it would be if it was directed to the correct person or whom the law was speaking to. Mm. So double speaking is just a, a, a way how words can be used to deceive a person, leading you to believe that it means something else when you actually are referring to something totally different. So now that we understand that there's no such thing as a credit bureau, then when we look at some of the other credit reporting, secondary credit reporting agencies like LexisNexis, Innovis, Sage, Tremere, mm-hmm. where do they fall in that bucket Consumer of Consumer reporting agencies. We gave them a secondary name. There is no primary or secondary. They're all the same. They're the same. all consumer reporting agency. It's just that there's some that are used more than others. And the big three that we know that was first in the game mm-hmm. are TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. They are pioneers in the consumer reporting industry. They are the big three. Mm. It still doesn't make another consumer reporting agency any more or any less. Right. It's just that now they have the ability to source information from the smaller companies. Gotcha. But they are still all consumer reporting agencies. Let's dive a little bit deeper. Um, we've done a couple of these episodes now, and we've talked about literally everything under the sun that you could have on your consumer report. Repossessions, bankruptcies, hard inquiries, student mm-hmm. loans, charge-offs, evictions, uh, hard in- like personal information, you name it, we've t- talked about it. I wanna talk, when we talk about collections, we've touched on this, but I really wanna get into the, to the nitty gritty of it, because when we talk about collections, it's directly connected to debt collectors. And you have a lot of consumers that are work, dealing with these debt collectors and don't know how to properly navigate what goes on. Oh, he's getting ready. He's over here cracking his neck. He's ready. He's ready to dive in. Uh, let's get it. You're about to start some. All right, let's, let's do go. it. Let's so, go. Let's go. Because it. when we talk about these debt collectors, most people who deal with debt collectors, you know, we talked about breach of peace when we we address uh, repossessions, right? Uh, on the debt collector side, debt collector side of things, you have consumers that are getting letters from debt collectors, phone calls from debt collectors. They're literally mm-hmm. chasing and hounding these people down. Mm-hmm right, for this alleged debt that they say that they owe. Mm-hmm. If I'm a consumer, we we have an idea of how to deal with things as it pertains to the actual collection on our consumer report. How are we now able to leverage consumer law to combat actual debt collectors that are literally calling us X amount of times a day, sending us these letters and breaching our peace as well when it comes to dealing with them? So when it comes to debt collectors, the first thing I want to make very clear is that a consumer can refuse to pay a debt collector. Okay. I'm not making it up. Y'all have probably heard this before that you don't have to pay debt collectors. You don't have to pay debt collectors. It is true. Mm-hmm. The law says that in writing, a consumer can refuse to pay a debt collector. 15 U.S.C. 1692 CC. Mm-hmm. It is written, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when you send out a refusal to pay or a cease and desist, a debt collector can only respond to a consumer in one of three ways, right? Okay. And if they respond to a consumer other than these one of three replies, it mm-hmm. is a violation of that section, right? Knowing the laws, what laws are in place to protect the consumer is extremely important 
because you need to know how to defend yourself. A lot of people talk about debt collection and a lot of people don't know that a new debt collection law has been passed with different interpretations of what can and cannot be done, right? So if you go to 12 CFR 1006, that's regulation F, right? Okay. Regulation F is the FDCPA. Okay. So when you go there, it's going to bring you to the CFPB website. Mm -hmm. You go there and go take a read. So November 31st, um, 2021, the new debt collection laws came into effect. Okay. Right? Before that, everything under 15 U.S.C. 1692G was the standard. But Regulation F has been updated. And if you go to 12 CFR 1006, you will see what Regulation F speaks about now. And it is completely different from the old FDCPA, mm-hmm. right? Where there were eight definitions under the old law, the new law has about 13 definitions, right? Right. So there, there's things like the known parking rule that now applies on the new law, but that was not on the old law. Right. So, like, you'll hear people in the credit space talk about don't pay their collectors, don't pay their collectors. Well, yeah, that, that, while that is true, that's not the solution for everything, right? Because then we need to talk about different violations. Because if we're going to talk about remedy, we need to know what remedies we can get. So let's say, for example, before November 31st, 2021, a debt collector could put whatever they want, any alleged debt, on a consumer's consumer report, right? Right. Nothing would happen. Well, under the new law, they can't. There's a thing called the known parking rule. Can you explain that? The known parking rule is basically they cannot park an alleged debt on a consumer's consumer report without getting in contact with the consumer to whom that alleged debt is related to. And the law gives them a reasonable period of time, which the interpretation gives them about 14 days, mm-hmm. right? So they'll send a notice off, and if the, if the consumer was not contacted or if they cannot prove, the law doesn't say it needs to be delivered, it must contact the consumer, right? So if I'm the consumer, and a debt collector is going to say, well, we send you a notice. I want you to prove that you send it. Gotcha. The law says it must be sent. It didn't say you must receive it. And these are the things that we need to pay attention to. So I'm not saying that they're just sending stuff to wrong addresses. It could be the fact that your personal information on the consumer reports not updated. So you have an address from 15 years ago that should have been off anyway, but it's still on there. Or the alleged creditor that they bought the debt from or Mm -hmm. got the assignment from has outdated information and that address they sent it to, but then you moved from New York to California. You didn't get it. Mm. So there's, there's so many different factors when it comes to debt collection. It's not a, oh, I'm just going to send out a cease and desist and that's going to solve everything. No. What's supposed to happen after you send out a cease and desist? Right. A lot of people don't know. True. But this is where the education comes in. You have to be willing to be invested in your own education because what? Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed because of a lack of information. So if we now become the educated consumer, well, it 
by default, you're going to start making educated decisions, make educated choices. So if you want to be the best at something, I'm not saying that every consumer is going to be a credit specialist or a credit repair guru, but be the credit specialist for yourself. It's your report. Right. So the debt collection now and even the validation process, it is different. It requires a certain amount of disclosures now. Okay. And when you send in a notice for validation, it's not the same as saying, give me a notice for validation of debt, person 12 CFR 1006.34C. Because mm-hmm. the re- regular consumer and what other people are saying online is, you know, validate this debt. Okay, it's validated. You just told them to validate the debt. They told you it's validated. Then what? They gave you what you asked for. Mm-hmm. Then what? They don't know. So be careful who you're taking information from. Everything that I tell you, go double check it. Do not execute and nothing I say unless you go and look it up. Right. So if I'm saying to a debt collector, I want a notice for validations of debt. Person 12 CFR 1006.34C. I am very specific as to what I want you to send. Anything else I don't want, keep it. Don't send me no payment history. Don't send me no assignment contract. Don't send me what I asked you for. Stop stalling. Mm-hmm. The law is specific as to what is needed for a notice for validations of debt. Send that to me. Thank you very much. There you go. We, we're talking about, let's dive a little bit deeper into it because there was a point I thought you were going to touch on, but I'm, I'm going to circle it back now because I would love for you to touch on it as well. We talk about debt collectors. Mm-hmm. Most consumers don't even know that there's a band list when it comes to these collectors. <laughs> Can we talk about that? Uh, mm-hmm. Right? Mm. Oh, you came, you came I ready today. I, I do Yo, research. I do research. I do drop research. some fire in the chat for Marvin right now. He's I'm, asking some really great questions. Come on, bro. I came so prepared. The FTC has a list of banned debt collectors. So all a person has to do is if you are being contacted by a debt collector, well, hmm, let me go look up on the banned list if this debt collector is banned or not. Right. So this is where I would go. FTC list of banned debt collectors. It will show you a list. Find them on there. If they're on there, you know what to do. Send them a letter stating what is on the FTC website that they are banned from collecting debt. Right. So why are you contacting me anyway? But debt collectors will know that items have fast statute of limitations, are approaching the statute of limitations. They'll know that they're not even legally able to collect on these debt, but because consumers don't know consumer laws, they collect anyway. They don't know when an item has passed the statute of limitations. They don't know that a debt collector could be banned. So if they don't know these things and which they're banking on, they can collect. The consumer's job is to protect your hard-earned money. You're the one clocking in for eight hours. Mm -hmm. You're the one doing double shifts. You're the one doing three to six overtime. Mm -hmm. And because someone say, is this the rain? You owe us money. I'm just going to just take that portion of my life that I just sacrificed for and just hand it to you? No. You, at what point, and I'm talking to you, at what point are you 
held accountable? Mm-hmm. Are you just going to give your hard-earned money away to anybody that comes and say, oh, you owe us an alleged debt? Or are you going to put the time in to find out if this person have a legal or valid claim? Right. At some point, you have to be held accountable. And I'm talking about you because it is your money. You work for it. You should not be so quick to depart with it. I just don't think you should be. Diving a little bit deeper into that, we talked about just some of the different ways that we can deal with debt collectors. And I mentioned collections before. Is our approach to dealing with debt collectors, because some people who don't have the information, who didn't know better, fell victim to a lot of these predatory lending practices, went ahead and they made payment on that $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 collection. Is our approach to how we deal with collections and how we deal with collect debt collectors vary when we have made payment on that collections versus if we haven't? Um, not necessarily. Um, you don't know what you don't know. But right. when you know better, you do better, right? Right. So, so depending on what agreements y'all have Mm -hmm. you know that it takes how y'all are gonna go but Mm -hmm. excuse me despite the agreement fraud is fraud Mm -hmm. illegal activities are illegal activities it's not what you know it's what you can prove Mm -hmm. so even though you you decided that you paid or you're going to pay a, a, a collections and you know come in contact or you now know information mm-hmm. that changes your whole perception of what you thought before. So now you notice that the debt has expired. And when I say an expiration of the debt, it simply means that each state has what is called a statute of limitations for a creditor or a debt collector to collect on an alleged debt. New York, it's three years. Before it was six, now it's three. So in that three years, if that three years pass and you didn't collect, and you're going to come to me at three and a half years trying to collect, you cannot. Mm -hmm. The law says that you had three years to collect on this alleged debt. You cannot anymore. So now the statute of limitations has passed for you to collect on that debt. There you go. There you go. Okay. Okay. I want to switch gears here one more time. We've made mention of it a couple of times throughout this episode. I want to talk about it um, as we begin to close things out because I know it's super duper important. The Credit Summit. Mm -hmm. September 29th to October 1st, right here Mm -hmm. in Atlanta, Georgia, where we are recording this uh, episode from, Mm -hmm. where essentially you, Mr. Doreen Delavante, you're bringing out the the biggest and the best names within the credit space to come out and empower consumers and also empower credit repair company owners as well. For starters, let's take a couple of steps back. Where exactly did this idea for the Credit Summit come from? Because this is our first time seeing something like this ever. So I had went to previous um, uh, credit conferences or conferences that was designed or whatever they want to call it about Mm -hmm. credit. And I was there. I was asking questions and I couldn't get answers to any of the questions that I asked. Mm. So I was very upset. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I said that no more will I be attending workshops or, or, or conferences like this. Right. I am now going to build my own. 
where I am giving real information that anyone can Google and fact check. Mm-hmm. And where the consumer, the regular consumer, mm-hmm. you can print your credit reports out, put it in your bag, put it in your envelope, mm-hmm. put it in your book bag, put it in your suitcase, bring it with you to the credit summit. Mm-hmm. Doreen, I got a question. Right now, I have a collections on my consumer report. How can I get this collection deleted? In real time, real strategy. I've never seen anybody do that. Correct. It's not about me. It's about us. Mm -hmm. I want you to be empowered. I want you to come. Doreen, I got a repossession. How, How do I get this repossession deleted? Let me give you a repossession strategy in real time. Mm -hmm. Doreen, I got a bankruptcy. I heard you say that is it bankruptcy or identity theft and it could possibly get deleted in four days. How do I go about that? Let me give you that strategy in real time. Mm -hmm. I am a real person. Pull up to the credit summit. Marvin's going to be there. I am going to be there. Right? I am going to be there. Like, so we are real people that you can talk to Mm -hmm. you can take pictures with you can make videos we're real people and like we've fallen behind the eight ball for so long Mm -hmm. because of information that we thought we didn't have it's not that we didn't have the information the information was there we just didn't know where to look right but how long will we use that I don't know or no one taught me this as an excuse mm-hmm. to have bad credit, to live in a 500 credit score zip code, to be a victim of subprime lending, to keep going to the check cash in place when all we need to do is go to check systems and find out what information check systems got on us mm-hmm. so we can start opening up bank accounts, so we can clean up these collections and these late payments, so we can go get funding. Mm-hmm. So we can get our credit scores above a 580. So we can go get a, a, a home loan and move out of an apartment. When do we say enough is enough? And it's time for me to bring my family to an event where I have a 10 or a 13-year-old. Doreen, I have a 10 or a 13-year-old right now, and I want to start working on their credit. What can we do? Well, you can put them on as an authorized user. Let's open some secured accounts if the institutions allow you to. Right? Instead of giving the kids allowances every month, how about we get a secured credit card? Whatever that allowance will be now, we use that allowance to fund the credit card. Mm -hmm. They use that credit card. So now you're teaching them how to use it and pay it back monthly. And this is the amount of your allowance. You cannot exceed this limit. Mm-hmm. We start teaching them now, okay, what is a due date? What is the reportment or the statement date? What's the difference between the two? Mm-hmm. Right? So now that I paid back, when will this be available for me to use? What is proper utilization? If I have $300 on the secured card, if I use $100 or $150, what percentage of the utilization is being affected? So we start teaching them about the factors of FICO. Right. We know that there's different FICO score. FICO score for a bank card score, a mortgage score. There is the FICO 8, the FICO 9, FICO 10, FICO 10T, FICO 2, uh, FICO 5, and I believe FICO 4. Right. 
What are these? Well, on FICO's website, they tell you what these are. Mm -hmm. So if we know FICO is the industry standard, let's go learn some stuff over there. Mm -hmm. Right? So this the, the credit summit is where you need to be. Bring your family. Bring Mama Dukes. Right? Bring the uncles. Bring the aunts. Information will change your, your whole perception. It will even... Information is so impactful that you can develop a whole new paradigm with the right information. Right. A whole new perception. A whole new way of looking at yourself. So this is why, Marvin, the Credit Summit is so important. It is for us as a group, as a people, to start changing the credit score of our zip codes so we can be qualified for more lines of credit, for bigger lines of credit. I want to dive more into that because I have, like I said, I've been watching a lot of what you've been doing much closer than usual. And to a point that you just made, I see that this is the second credit summit that Correct. you've done, you're, do, you're getting ready to do. Correct. And I'm noticing that for this credit summit, you've been very intentional about about branding it as a family event in comparison to the first one, right? Mm -hmm. So with the first one, you know, obviously I wasn't there, but I saw the highlights, I saw the advertising, I saw the promotion, mm -hmm. and, you know, I saw the turnout. And of course, it was mainly people who are 20, 30, 40, 50, and beyond. Mm -hmm. But for this one, you've been very, very strategic and very intentional about saying, hey, this is a family event. I don't, I don't just want people who are 20 and up. Bring your 10-year-olds, your 13-year-olds, your 15-year-olds, and so forth and so on. Why has that been such a big thing for you in comparison from the first credit summit going into this one? Was it something that took place at the first credit summit that made you go, okay, no, we have to take a bit, bit of a different direction this time around? Is it something that's transpired in general from now then until now? Talk to me a little bit more about that. So the first one, families came in. I remember a mom, she had two daughters. She brought the daughters in. Okay. Uh, probably three, one was three and maybe one was eight. Okay. And... A lot of times, a lot of people are saying, you know, conferences are not for kids. Right. And they have nowhere to leave the kids and stuff like that. But in addition to that, the main thing I've heard is, Doreen, I wasn't taught this growing up. Right. Nobody. T so how do we change that? Right. If you weren't taught this growing up, how do we change this? Mm -hmm. We have the kids now immersed in the environment mm -hmm. so they can start learning about credit so they can start reading about financial literacy right so how do we change the next generation we need to educate them so and what better way to do it than us learning as a family when you get uncle's credit right you get auntie's credit right we go work on grandma's credit and now as a family with good credit, our buying power has just increased. Mm -hmm. So now, what if each member of that family decides to go get a FHA 203K home loan, mm -hmm. and then everybody got a four family? There's five of us, and let's say everybody is over 25. Let's just use that as an example, right? And they have the income to match, mm -hmm. right? And there's five of them, and each person go gets a first-time home loan with a FHA 203K or whatever construction loan they want to get or whatever. And now each of them have four units each. Mm -hmm. 
as a family. You see how now they have just they have just exponentially started the growth of their family wealth. Mm-hmm. This is what the credit summit is about. Right. How can we use a tool that is credit to start our generational wealth machine? We're going to talk about trust. We're going to talk about life insurance policies. We're going to talk about all the things that we can put in place right now to start building generational wealth. I'm getting my trust and my life insurance is set up right now. I love it. Because it's a vehicle to use to generational wealth. Right. Why not me? Right. Why should I wait on my child to solve the issue of bad credit in our family? Why? Why why should I pass on bad debt, bad information, a bad zip code where credit is concerned to my child? Right. No. How do we break it? It starts with you. Why not me? That's what I said to myself. Why not me? There you go. Listen, my brother, it's always a pleasure every time I get a chance to bring you on here. It's been legendary episode after legendary episode. After. <laughs> I, think we're, I, I think we're on, I don't think it's like six or seven. Ah, I, at this I point, listen, the real, the real, the real <laughs> when somebody asks me how many episodes have I done with Doreen Levante, the answer is always going to be not enough because ah. there's still too, so much more game that we have to give. I'm excited for the Credit Summit. I know you're, of course, excited for the Credit Summit as well, and I'm excited to be a part of it. To close it out. Um, the, your camera is right here. For those who are still watching and have been empowered by this episode, just give them some closing words to close things out. And of course, remind them once again where they can learn more about the Credit Summit. Yes. Yeah, so um, thecreditsummit.com, you can go to thecreditsummit.com. The tickets will be there. But, you know, this is Marvin's channel. I want you all to use the link below yep. because I want Marvin to know how many, how many of his People, because yep. we're family now. Yep. We ain't strangers no more. Not even close. How many people from here came to the credit summit? Because we're going to ask. Yep. And everybody that came from this episode, I want y'all to stand up at the credit summit because I want to know that we are making uh, an impact and yep. we are creating a new mindset and we're sparking a different type of fire. Right. So that... The excuses of I don't know yep. become a thing of the past. Yes, sir. And what we want people to say is, how can I? Right? Let's move from I cannot to how can I? Because I will ask for y'all at the credit summit. And DoreenDelevante.com. You can go to my website, Doreen Delevante, on YouTube, Doreen Delevante, on Instagram, anything Doreen Delevante, just go look it up. All the links are going to be down here in the description. and But most of all, guys, I want you to give a big shout out to Marvin. And I want you all to drop some fire in the chat. <laughs> and and I know I'm being real. Like, he really has impacted so many people. And while we're alive, let's give each other our flowers Thanks. while we're alive. Let's not wait until something happens. You know, Marvin was a great guy. No, he's a great guy now. Here's your flowers, bro. I appreciate you, it. You're a great guy. So let, let's do that. Yep. Let's get into the habit of appreciating each other. Yep. And uh, most importantly, for those of you that are coming to the Credit Summit, just drop Credit Summit in the chat or yep. I'm going to be there. Yep. Like we want to know 
that what we are doing makes sense. Because if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't matter what we are doing. Right. If it's not beneficial for you, it makes no sense. Right. All right? So my, my parting words are, the greatest investment you will ever make is an investment in yourself. And whether you believe you can or you believe you cannot, either way, you are both right. The question is, which one are you going to feed? I was and I still am my greatest investment. You are too. The question is, do you believe that you are your greatest investment? Drop the word Credit Summit in the chat. We'll see you at the Credit Summit. Back over to you, brother. My brother, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you guys even more. Listen, if you haven't already, the link will be in the description. The Credit Summit, September 29th to October 1st, here in Atlanta, Georgia, hosted by Durant Levante. I will be there along with every and any big name from the credit space that you could think of. But if you haven't already, what are you doing? Listen, take a second, take a minute, take an hour. Out of your day right here, right now. Not to just not just slap a like button, but also subscribe to the channel for future episodes just like this and head over to thecreditsummit.com using the link in the description to secure Secure your seats. And when you do, come back to this episode and put the word Credit Summit in the comments so we know to expect to see you there. But as always, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Marvin Francois. That's my guy, Mr. Durain DeLevante. Let's go. Y'all have been good. We've been great. This has been amazing. And as always, thank you and God bless. Peace. Let's get it.